0: we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Thanks be to God for his word and for Chick, who is going to bring us his message. Thank you, Chick. Thank you, Andrew. And finally, I'm going to stay down here and use a music stand because those kind of Pulpits are designed for people your height and not people my height, but they also make me feel a little bit caged. So, can this bend back a little? It does. Perfect. Good. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. It's always good to be at Thomas Risley Church, and I am most grateful for the invitation. Apologies that Margaret is not with me. I, we were walking in the park the other day, and she got a very What turned out to be a very nasty bite, so her arm is quite swollen Um, and she's on sort of antihistamine things that are making her a little bit sleepy, but she is hoping to be with me tonight, so if you'd like to see my wife, be here tonight, please. Um, It is an awesome responsibility uh, to preach the word on Pentecost Sunday, because this is one of the great days in the history of the church. So I'd like to pause and pray. Heavenly Father, uh, speak despite the ineloquence and the unworthiness of the preacher. And speak to the heart of each one of us in this congregation. In Jesus' name, Amen. On the day of Pentecost, it says, they were all together together. In one place and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now why were they all in the same place on the same day at the same time? And the answer to that is very simple. It was the expectation of the coming of the Spirit that brought them together. The reason they were together waiting was that they were expecting something to happen. And we know that because if you read from Acts chapter 1, just the previous chapter, it says this, after his suffering, Jesus presented himself to his disciples and gave them many proofs that he was alive, and he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Spirit. It was the expectation of the coming of the Spirit, the fulfillment of Jesus' promise that brought them together on the day of Pentecost. Now I want to say something that I think is actually very important. Too much of the speaking about the Spirit and the baptism of the Spirit in the church in recent days has been all about the Holy Spirit coming to individuals. Now don't misunderstand me. Of course the Holy Spirit comes upon individuals. But if you read the Acts of the Apostles, if you read the New Testament, you will find that it is much more characteristic that the Holy Spirit, rather than falling on an individual here and an individual there, comes upon the people of God when they are gathered together. And if we emphasize the individual too much, that can lead to a kind of elitism and separatism. You know, I've got the Holy Spirit, but you haven't. And you never find any of that in the, Old, in the New Testament. The normal pattern, the Pentecost pattern, is that the Spirit of God falls upon the church. It was the expectation of the coming of the Spirit that brought them together. Now, I've, I've given, speaking this morning and speaking this evening, I've given each one of them a title. The title for this morning is Pentecost Now. And the title for this evening, Adam, is Pentecost Wow. And why Pentecost Now? Because if it was the expectation of the coming of the Spirit that brought the church together on the day of Pentecost, it is still the expectation of the coming of the Spirit that should bring us together. It's not good enough to come to church because somebody made us. It's not good enough to come to church just because it's a habit, though it is rather a good habit. It's not good enough to come to church just because it is our duty. Though it is in a way our duty. We should come with a spirit of expectancy. See, it is the spirit of God that makes everything possible. If you were to quickly go through the New Testament, you would find that it's the spirit who makes the living Jesus present amongst us. It is the Spirit who convicts us of our sin and convinces us of God's forgiveness. It is the Spirit who adopts us into the family of God. It is the Spirit who makes us a new creation. It is the Spirit who enables our worship and inspires the preaching and empowers our prayers and enlivens the sacrament. It is the Spirit that makes a bunch of ordinary people like us. The body of Christ. When the people of God come together like we are together this morning, get this right, it is like no other gathering of people on earth. Can I say that again? When the people of God come together like we have come this morning, it is not like any other uh, gathering of people, it's not like any other club, it's not like any other association. The church is not a club for folk who happen to be a bit religious. The church is not a therapy or a self-help group. The church is not a collection of like-minded people. In fact, the church is such a unique thing that the New Testament writers had a special word for it. They were writing in Greek and the word they had was koinonia. It is the word that we normally translate in English as fellowship. More accurately, it actually means a a partnership, a sharing. It was used of a business partnership and it was used of marriage, a, a joining together, koinonia. And the early Christians grabbed this word koinonia and they filled it with a new meaning to express the new relationship that they now enjoyed with each other, With God the Father and with the risen Jesus, all made possible by the presence and power of the Spirit of God. When Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he said to them, don't get drunk on wine because that's debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, and sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord. One of the things I'm going to say this evening is that the church should be the biggest party we have ever held. Because together, we are made into a brand new people by the presence of, Of the Spirit of God. I reminded you of a great event on the 3rd of January 1947. Which should be celebrated throughout the world. chick Yule's birthday. Let me remind you of another great event. Thursday, May the 6th, 1954. Does that resonate with anybody? Thursday, May the 6th, 1954. It was a wet and windy evening in Oxford and approximately 1,500 people wended their way to the Iffley Road Athletics Track. And on that wet and windy evening, paced by Chris Brasher and Chris Chataway, Roger Bannister became the first man in history to run the mile in under four minutes. That's an incredible feat. I run a little bit. I can reasonably comfortably do 10 minute miles. Under four minutes. The crowd was, was only around 1,500 people. But here's the interesting thing. In years to come... Thousands of people were to claim that they were there that night. Chris Brasher, who was one of the pacemakers, he said, at the very most, there were 1,500 present. But I've met every one of the 20,000 who tell me they were present. You know what's happening? People are, are wishing they could have been there. And sometimes I think as Christians we are like that. We, people say, I wish I could have been around in the days when Jesus walked the world in the days of his flesh. I wish I had been present at the coming of the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing, you are. The Spirit is as present in our gathering today as he was on that day way back in history 2,000 years ago. It was the expectation of the coming of the Spirit that brought them together then. It is the expectation of the coming of the Holy Spirit that brings us together now. That's why church is important. Because we come together as the people of the Spirit and we know that he's going to do something. But it doesn't stop there. It does not stop there. Because if you uh, recall that reading and thank you to the ladies who read it, who read it so clearly. I love to see to hear scripture well read in church. Thank you for doing that. It continues, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And then it goes on to tell us that there were people in Jerusalem from all over the world back to celebrate the the, the festival of Pentecost. And they were from all parts of the world and all of them began to hear the, 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 the disciples praising God in their native tongue. Here's the second thing I want to tell you. It was the expectation of the coming of the Spirit that brought them together. But it was the experience of the filling of the Spirit that sent them out. Now... You have to kind of imagine the scene. It's it's most probable that that these events happened in the courts of the temple. Because in these early chapters of the Acts of the Apostles, Luke tells us that they regularly, the believers, the followers of Jesus, regularly met in the temple to meet and worship and fellowship together. And so on this day, it was probably within the temple courts that the Holy Spirit fell on them. And so they were inevitably, their praises were inevitably overheard by the larger crowd who were in the temple. See what's happening? They come in expectancy for the spirit to fall and the experience of the filling of the spirit sends them out into contact with others. Because Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, then gets up and says, rulers and elders of the people. Uh, That's that's the pattern. The pattern throughout the Acts of the Apostles is that they are constantly sent out, pushed out. Uh, When In in Acts chapter 4, when the members of the Sanhedrin said, look, we want to tell you, uh, you mustn't speak about Jesus. You've got to keep this quiet. They say, so what is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him, you, are, you be the judges, for we cannot help speaking about what we have heard and seen. They're being pushed out. In Acts chapter 8, there's, there's a great persecution comes upon the church. And they're scattered. They're scattered abroad. And those who had been scattered, it says, preached the gospel wherever they went. A little bit later, in Acts chapter 8, an angel of the Lord says to Philip, there's there's an Ethiopian official of of the court of the king, he'll be in a chariot, he'll be riding through the desert, and and Philip goes and meets him, and the spirit says, go to that chariot and stay near it. And he tells him about Jesus. Acts chapter 10, uh, Peter says, has to take the gospel to a Roman centurion and and Paul's journeys go ever, ever outwards with the gospel. It's the fulfillment of Jesus' promise and instruction. Jesus said, Acts chapter 1 and verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but listen, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Here, there, and everywhere. Pushed out, pushed out, pushed out. I believe that church is incredibly important. There are some people today who are saying meeting with fellow believers is not important. They are wrong. Church is really important. But the importance of church is that it fills us and equips us to get out. See, the, the, the coming of the Spirit and that gift of tongues was not just a private experience. It was in order on that day of Pentecost that others would hear those praises in their own language. We've got to get out and share the gospel in the language of the people around us. That's why I get sad about a church when we're often content to describe ourselves as churchgoers. Or I hear people say, I I like my church. It's a spiritual home. It isn't actually. It's more like a barracks from which you're sent out. We're not called to retreat from the world into church. We're called into the church to be charged up and filled with the Holy Spirit in order that we can reach the world, in order that we can be revolutionaries. Read the Acts of the Apostles and you'll find a church that is constantly unsettled, constantly disturbed, constantly pushed out into the world. That's why I am so glad to have the privilege of working alongside your church in the whole area of whole life discipleship. That's why we go back again and again to those simple numbers, 10, 110. You know what it means? I'll remind you, there's 168 hours in a week. You've got to sleep some. So let's take out 48. That leaves 120 waking hours. Let's say... The most that most people are able to spend in actually church-based activities is 10 hours a week. That's actually quite a lot If you think about it. Morning service, evening service if you come to an evening service, um, midweek prayer and Bible study, maybe you're involved in some ministry or other. 10 hours a week roughly. Maybe a little bit more for people who are retired from work and can give extra time to maintaining church activities. But for most people, it's 10 hours. That leaves another 110 when we're earning a living, bringing up the kids, doing the shopping, chatting to our neighbours, tidying the garden. And that's where we should be. That's not less important than church. It's what the church exists for, to drive us out and equip us so that we take the gospel wherever we go. I was talking to a lady called Catherine last week. She owns a hairdressing salon and a beautician's. I must go sometime and see whether it really works. I mean, it's it's one of those places where they've even got tanks. Apparently, I didn't know this, but some of these places you can go and they've got fish tanks, and you stick your feet in them and they nibble your feet. They ain't nibbling my feet, but she's she's a very attractive young lady. A few years ago, she became a Christian. says, it's changed. It's changed how I do my work. Uh, when, they've, when they've got an appointment that's not filled, if somebody drops out of an appointment, they, they put it on their Facebook page and people can bid for it. Uh, and she said, I discovered that a couple of members of my staff were pushing the bids up so that people were actually paying more than the appointment would have cost. She said, I stopped that immediately. Because that's not... That's not what a Christian does. And she said, and sometimes when I'm I'm washing people's hair, I just quietly pray for them. And and a hairdressing salon, which I guess could easily become a place of gossip, though I mean, I'm sure that ladies never gossip, but it could, (laughs) has become a place of prayer. I spoke to another young lady called Ellie, whose family owns a furniture company. And she says, no, we don't put uh, text up on the wall and we don't put tracts in the wage packets, but everybody knows we run our business differently. And she told me the story about they had a, 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 an unusual amount of work it's a, it, and, and, and they needed a new machine a, and the bank wouldn't, wouldn't give them the money. So they prayed about it. Went to the manufacturer of the machine and said, look, we need the machine, but that's all we can pay as a deposit. But we know we've got all this work. To their amazement, the company said, we've dealt with you before. We trust you. That's fine. See, we're being pushed into the world, into all the ordinary stuff to fill it with the glory of God, like you said in prayer, that the, like the waters cover the sea. The glory of the God. The glory of God should cover the world. And that's why I challenge people to ask, where is my front line? Where is it I spend most of my time? And then ask two questions. One is, what is God doing where you spend most of your time? And don't tell me, He's not doing anything. Because if he isn't doing anything, that can only mean one of three things, right? Let's, let's get honest about this. If God is not doing anything in your home, in your street, in the place where you work, in your school, in your college, if God isn't doing anything there, then it means one of three things. Number one, there ain't a God. And it's time we grew up and stopped pretending. Number two, there is a God, but he's concerned mainly about the church and not about the world. But the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Uh, Number three, there is a God, but out in the world Satan and the powers of darkness are stronger than God. I don't believe any of those. So God is doing something where you are. The spirit of God is moving. And here's your third question. First one, where's my front line? What's God doing there? You know what your third question is? God what part do you want me to play? Now, it was the expectation of the coming of the Spirit that brought them together. It was the experience of the filling of the Spirit that pushed them out again. Here's the last thing I want to say. and I'm, I'm, I'm watching my watch. I'm, I've got a watch. Some preachers only have a cal- I saw you have a sneak look there. But some preachers only have a calendar, but I've got a watch. Some of them, the only guarantee you've got is they'll finish on the same day they start. It's like when I run the marathon, when people say, what was your marathon time? I say, none of your business, because anybody my age who finishes on the same day they start, that's success. Yeah. Here's a third thing to say. If it was the expectation of the Spirit that brought them together... The church gathered together. If it's the experience of the filling of the Spirit that pushed them out again, then let me say this finally. It was the explanation of the working of the Spirit that caused them to talk about Jesus. Acts chapter 2 verse 14, remember, Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this. To you. And he tells them about the Old Testament prophecy, and then he tells them about Jesus. Here's another pattern you can detect in the Acts of the Apostles. Preaching never happened in a vacuum. You never find Peter or Paul thinking, I'll, I'll just stand up and, and, and I'll talk a little bit because people will like to hear me. Do you know why they preach? Because they're always First of all, there's a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And then they give an explanation of what that means. Check it out. Go through the Acts of the Apostles. There's a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And it needs an explanation. See, what was happening here was that all these people gathered in Jerusalem saw there's something different about these believers. In fact, they were so different and so happy... That some people, the only explanation they could give was they're drunk. Well, it was only nine in the morning, the pubs weren't even open. But by the way, I would love to be part of a church that was so happy that people looked and said, they're drunk. I mean, sometimes I've been in churches where some people looked from the outside and thought, I think they're all dead in there. <laughs> but drunk, filled with the Spirit. The people saw a difference And it had to be explained. And Peter gives the explanation. What does it mean? What it means is this, said Peter, it's all about Jesus. Now here's my challenge to you. Imagine what would happen if we lived the whole of life, whole life discipleship, if our life at home, at work, in our leisure time with our family with our neighbours when we're doing the shopping when we're doing the gardening when we're walking along the street if we lived all of those areas of life in such a way that all we are and all we do and all we say reveals the presence of the Spirit of God what will happen? I'll tell you what will happen we'll be in a recurring cycle of demonstration and explanation. See, some people think that preaching by itself is enough. And other people say, uh, and they've got this story about St. Francis, do you know that story about St. Francis? Said to the young monk, we'll go into the village and preach. And they walked through the village and never said a word. And when they got back, the young monk said to St. Francis, we didn't preach. And St. Francis said, we did we preached by our lives when I get to heaven I'm going to say to St. Francis is that true because it's a load of baloney mm-hmm. it's not true and living the life is not enough it needs both the demonstration and the explanation scripture tells us be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you we nobody's interested in what we've got to say unless how we live is different. When you explain it, you'll just have to talk about Jesus. You'll just have to talk about Jesus. I've referred already this morning to my Salvation Army roots. Let me tell you a story. One of The, the, the Salvation Army in its early days had very few intellectuals. I mean, they were the most ordinary of people. But one man who was drawn to the Salvation Army was a very intelligent, articulate, gifted atheist, a man called Richard Slater. And Richard Slater attended, he got interested in this strange movement and and went to observe it. And his life was turned around. Not by a clever sermon, not by some great theology, but in in the year 1882... He went to a Salvation Army meeting at a converted skating rink. And a servant girl stood up in testimony time. And she could hardly string two words together. But this is what she said. She said, my mistress for whom I work knows I've got saved because I used to sweep the dust under the carpets. Now I sweep all round them and under the carpets as well. And Schleiter's thinking, my atheism doesn't change people like that. But the Spirit of God does. And years later he wrote a very simple little chorus. I have not much to give thee, Lord, for that great love that made thee mine. I have not much to give thee, Lord, but all I have is thine. That's whole life discipleship. I give you everything. And when we do that, when we're empty handed, the Spirit of God fills us generously. You don't have to beg God to pour out this Holy Spirit. He, loves, he wants to do it more than we want to receive it. He wants to pour it out on every individual and upon this church. Because it is Pentecost now. We, you know, the, the danger, it's a great thing, and I, I do it myself all the time, talk about Pentecost as the birthday of the church. The danger with calling it that is you're looking back and saying, wow, that was a great day way back then. The point is, this is a great day right here and now. And the Spirit of God is being poured out. Now the only question is, do we want to receive it? Are we open-hearted and open-handed? I have not much to give you, Lord, for that great love that made you mine. I haven't much to give you, Lord, but all I have is thine. Do you know what I think we should do? We'll have some music pleased with the, 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 the worship team, uh, and I think Andrew and one of the elders is going to be available, and, and there's, there's just a simple offer, as a, as a symbolic witness to the Spirit's coming, if you would like to be anointed with oil, there's nothing magic about it, it's, it's, it's a bit like when we share communion. It's not that the bread and the wine become something different, but it is that they become symbols that sensitize us and open our hearts to receive the power and the presence and the love of the risen Jesus. And so when we anoint people, it just brings us to a tender place where our hearts and our hands and our minds are open. So Adam and the guys in the band, if you will lead us in in some singing, I'm going to offer a little prayer. And then we're going to uh, make some time to just receive the Holy Spirit. Last night, about half past midnight, I was thinking very much about today. And I always try to put something meaningful on my Facebook page. I hate it when it's just trivial. And so I wrote this little prayer. And I shared it with the 1,800 people in Come Holy Spirit, loosen our tongues so that we might praise you joyfully. Soften our hearts so that we might love you extravagantly. Capture our wills so that we might serve you eagerly. Fire our imaginations so that we might speak of you compellingly. And renew our minds so that we might understand you clearly. Come Holy Spirit. Bestow your gifts upon us so that we might fulfill our role in the body of Christ. Grow your fruit within us so that we might fulfill our potential to be like Christ. And show your power through us so that we might fulfill our calling to draw others to Christ.